Hey there, curious pet parents. This week on the show, we sit down with not one, but two special guests who are going to impart their knowledge with all of us. Dr. David Levine and licensed veterinary technician Ashley Wheeler join us for an insightful conversation exploring the world of pet rehabilitation. They share their valuable expertise on techniques, benefits, and the transformative power of rehabilitation for our furry friends. That's today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more that you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, and joined once more by Brother Stephen. On your left side today. I know, you switched it up. I, I did change it up. For those listening at home, you can't tell the difference, but for those watching on YouTube, um, we just... Switch the orientation of the camera. It's pretty stupid. We had our bookcase that's behind us was barren, so we had to decorate it real quick. So, now. And then my big head blocks a little bit of it. I think we've talked about, I think I've asked you this question before when we talked with Dr. Dykus about broken bones. You have not had broken bones? I have never broken a bone. But you did have back surgery. I I did have back surgery, yes. I think I'd, I don't know which was worse. How long were you down? Uh, I couldn't lift, I couldn't. I was not allowed to run for one month. Okay. And that was in the month of August leading into soccer season. So that was... All right. So you couldn't run. Were you able... Like, But were you bed... Were you confined so, to your bed for any period of time? One day... Uh, for one day... For 24 hours, I was kind of... Eh, but okay, then so the next, not really that bad. Yeah. Two days, two days in, I was walking. And three days in, I was walking over a mile. When I broke my leg... And had surgery, then oh, I, was, yeah. I was like the, on the couch for six weeks. No, the, like, it was yeah. it was nothing like that. I couldn't I couldn't get a gallon of milk out of the refrigerator because of the weight restriction. Okay, but there was no other restriction. I mean, it was if I could wheel myself on my little scooter to the to the kitchen, I was I had no problem. But but walking was hard. It was a problem for so you. So when you did you have rehab? Oh no, really for back surgery, no rehab. No, I had a lemonectomy with disectomy or disectomy okay. with lemonectomy, whatever. They they went and shaved it and okay. I was done. Well, when I again broke my leg, uh I had extensive rehab. It took a long time to be able to walk and put weight on my leg. Oh, and, no. and it was really interesting when they took the cast off, the difference, the muscle atrophy that I had, like the difference in my legs. Look, it was could substantial. You, could you see that through the fat? <laughs> my legs aren't fat. Okay. Just my belly. Unfortunately, I didn't break my belly. So, well, enough of that. So, I got my dig in. That was fine. Yeah, congratulations. So, today's episode, we're going to be talking about rehabilitation for our pets. And we have two guests on the podcast today, more experts coming uh, to us to join us and, and answer some questions for our curious pet parents. We have Dr. David Levine and Ashley Wheeler, who is a certified or a licensed veterinary medical technician, so uh, uh, our vet tech. And they are both, they also, um, not only do they have extensive training, well, I guess one of their extensive certifications that they have is certified canine rehabilitation practitioner. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, uh, Dr. Levine and, and Ashley, welcome into the Family Pet Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I heard you mention uh, Dr. Dykus, and he's tough to follow. He's a good friend of mine. We've worked together for years. Uh, yeah, he, he, really- 
he joined to talk a little bit about orthopedics and and why we might need to bring in a surgeon to do certain things. And in his episode, he mentioned rehab. Of course, he doesn't do anything with that. So he'll fix them, put them back together, and then discharges them. And we'll tell them oftentimes, you should follow up with a rehabilitation uh, expert. Um, That is not us as a general practice. So we also are sending people out. Um, I guess, is that when most people come to you is after surgery? Well, it could be after surgery. In the case of, you know, what what Dr. Dykus does, it's a lot of uh, fracture repair and, uh, you know, TPLOs and arthroscopic surgery and a lot of those patients really benefit from some post-operative rehab care, not only to help build that strength back and to, you know, maximize use of that limb, but part of it is also to really help educate the owners on what not to do and not undo a lot of good surgery too. So it's, I think, having that close contact to make sure things are progressing as they should. Okay. Uh, Ashley, if, if when you're out, you know, getting your groceries and somebody goes, what do you do for a living? And you say, well, I'm, I work in animal physical rehabilitation. The follow-up question I'd say is probably, what's what? that? <laughs> so yeah. what, what do you, what do you, how do you tell people, explain to people what you do? Well, it goes two, two ways. One, people are like, oh, one time I rescued a squirrel and brought it to a rehabber. And, you know, we have that oh, conversation. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, um, like you mentioned about when humans have rehab, it's a very easy way to kind of segue when they're like, oh, you know, I broke my leg and and I had rehab. It's the same thing. And we're like, yeah, pretty much same, you know, same principles, same, you know, equipment half the time. So um, thankfully having that human aspect of it, I can connect to and people can understand that a little bit easier. (laughs) So Dr. Levine, as, as we think about the big picture, what is the rehab Focus, because you talked about not. Uh, you talked about one purpose is to reinforce the surgery or post surgery, but also to prevent undoing the surgery. So, can you walk us through the big picture of what is the purpose of rehab? How does it work? Sure. Well, I guess like in the case of your back surgery, where you know you could you could understand what to do and what not to do. Uh, you know, we have to do a lot of that for our patients because there are a lot of, you know, precautions as, for example, when you have a laminectomy, you have an unstable area in the back for a while. So you're good enough to understand what not to do. But, you know, dogs will sometimes just want to run around, jump up and down on furniture uh, on areas that aren't yet stable as the bone is healing. And so that is a part where we have to really think about how we we parallel the exercises and the activities the dog is doing with it with the strength of the tissue and we have to kind of you know really apply that role for them where they can't do that on their own i think in general it's really about maximizing the outcome of a post-operative condition whether it's a back or a knee or restoring maximal function if it's something like arthritis or another neurological condition where they don't have surgery, but appropriate exercise can help restore that maximal function and, and improve quality of life. Is that similar to human occupational therapy, like where you're just learning to function in, with your new normal? I think in canine rehab or small animal rehab, it's kind of a combination of human physical therapy 
and occupational therapy and also some of the orthotics. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, we do a lot of cart fabrication, a lot of orthoses. So we kind of take on the role of multiple professions. And then but occupational therapy as well in terms of splinting, learning how to readapt. Uh, maybe you've got a paralyzed dog that has to learn how to live in a cart or at least, you know, X number of hours a day living in a cart, managing um, how to eat and defecate and things like that in, in this new life. Now, Ashley, as, as the LVMT, as the, the technician, I was told that in a lot of ways you implement the instruction with the animals. So you're the one actually doing much of the, the rehab. What is some of that rehab that we might anticipate for, for an average, for an average uh, patient that comes in to see you? Yeah. So it's going to obviously be dependent on kind of the main goals and what we're dealing with, you know, with your post-op TPLO, TTAs, pretty much most of your orthopedic surgeries um, that are post-operative, we're working on, you know, returning to function, also protecting those sites, um, but building muscles. So we're going to be using our underwater treadmill, um, getting them in that buoyant environment so we can protect that surgical site um, and not have any sort of high impact activity, um, but still be able to exercise, work on muscle building and, and overall use of a, a limb. Um, with the on the neuro, neurologic side, um, like Dr. Levine mentioned, you know, we're um, helping the owners and the pet get used to assisted devices. You know, we're training them on a lot of those regards, um, but we're also working on um, uh, balance and strength there and, and nerve function. So we're using uh, electric stimulation. We're using laser therapy. We're using a lot of balance um, equipment. Um, but yeah, kind of what's nice about rehab is you can really mix everything up and kind of get a really dedicated program for each pet um, and very customized um, because sometimes, you know, if a dog is or cat is just not feeling some exercise one day, we've got a lot of options to kind of pivot and figure out what we need to do to be beneficial. <laughs> Dr. Levine, it, it sounds like there's a lot of, of different um, exercises and tools that you can use. How do you decide how do you decide what to prescribe as, uh, for Ashley to put to put to use? Well, I, and Ashley is a big part of that. I think we, you know, uh, a, a lot of the training in this field is really understanding what the pathology is and what tissues are involved, uh, what stage of injury they're in, how far after surgery, uh, all of the different comorbidities. It's it's not that you typically have a dog in that maybe had a cruciate injury. That dog may also have elbow arthritis. It may have had, you know, it may have a metabolic disorder. It may need to lose weight. So it's really a very multimodal approach trying to put together something that is going to maximally improve the, uh, the health of this patient and, and be something we, we work very closely with owners on doing what's achievable for them and what they want to achieve. So it's, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of pieces behind getting to that plan. Now, Ashley, you mentioned, I, I heard two devices or tools in particular that I'm really curious about. Um, 
I love the concept of the water treadmill. Steven wants to take, he wants to know if you all have pool parties. That's what he I want to, I want to get my own dog just to do the water treadmill just for the fun of it. <laughs> um, but also, I, did I hear you do a balance uh, tool? Because I, I can, of human physical therapy, I know that they have the big rubber ball which has the platform and you have to stand and balance on it. Do you do something like that with, with animals? Absolutely. So we have a lot of different equipment um, as far as like the inflatable ones. We've got the balls. We have ones that um, actually what we call peanuts that are more like a peanut shaped. Um, we've got discs, we've got wobble boards, um, you know, ramp stairs, all that stuff that we can kind of combine. And, um, you know, especially some of our ones that we've been working with for a long time, I can pretty much stand these dogs on some things that I personally cannot stand on myself and maintain my balance. Um, and we can work on them, you know, their core and everything. And, um, you know, a lot of times the dogs end up having a lot of fun with it, cats too. Um, and even the underwater treadmill, uh, we have a lot of animals that come in and owners are like, Oh, my dog hates water. My cat hates water. Um, and you know, the next thing you know, we're being pulled into the treadmill because the dogs <laughs> are so excited to get in there. So, um, one of our main goals is whatever we're doing, if it's balance work, if it's different treatments, modalities, um, is making it a positive thing. But for the most part, a lot of the animals end up looking forward to their rehab sessions um, because it's just a fun way for them to get that pent up energy out too. How, 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 how long do most treatments last as far as, uh, uh, that may be hard to answer, but if you had to say, do most people come in eight or nine times or is it longer than that? Well, it depends on, you know, how, uh, how bad the condition is. I mean, we've had patients that have come for six months plus for significant neurological injuries, excuse me, um, there are patients that may only need three or four visits. Uh, you know, just like on the human side, you may have, maybe in your back injury, you needed to learn a few things about how to optimally move, you know, how to, how to get in and out of bed, how to progress your exercise. Um, you know, a lot of these things though, we, we can't teach a dog. We can't say, these are the best ways to do things. So we have to kind of guide them through it, teach the owners. So it really varies from anywhere from a couple of treatments to lifelong management, because some patients that may have had, uh, for example, a significant neurological injury uh, that they may never fully recover from may come till the end of their lives for fitness and maintaining optimal function. When I was rehabbing treatment is probably, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, although some animals stay longer, they stay all day and get multiple treatments. So it, it is really pretty variable. When I was rehabbing my leg, um, my appointments were about 45 minutes and we went through the exercises and then I was given homework. Um, do you all give homework for, for pet parents to do it with their pets at home? Yeah, um, we... A lot of times we'll kind of go over, you know, exercises, things like that. We actually have a program um, that Dr. Levine's worked with that um, has videos that we can actually assign um, and the owners can log in and see. And it's got little, um, you know, notes and different things and how often, how long to do each exercise. Um, but we do take time to kind of go over those with the owners to make sure that they're comfortable performing them as well as that 
we can see that they are performing them appropriately um, because uh, just like with people in school, some people take it very seriously and others uh, are a little lack on the or loose on the. She's um, calling us out, Stephen. <laughs> taking school less seriously? Who, who would do such a thing? <laughs> so, um, well, I, I want to follow up on that. How do you know if it's working? So how do you all, how do you all assess the, the improvement in your patients? Yeah, that's a great question because really every treatment here, uh, every time the, the, the dog or cat walks in, we, we do a reassessment. It may be somewhat informal, but we, we start by talking to the owner. How are things at home? Have there been any change in uh, you know, how they walk, how they sleep, how they eat? We look at how the, the animal's walking. We may make some measurements on range of motion. We you know, may look at the animal's posture. So there's a constant assessment to see if things are improving. And if they're not, then we have to change things up. It may be that there may need to be a, a bit of a tweak in maybe a pain management. Uh, or it may be that, uh, you know, a, a dog is just maybe getting a little bit bored with a program. It's getting a little bit too easy. We have to kind of bump it up a little bit. But, but assessment is probably the biggest part. We're constantly trying to, you know, challenge that animal to get their, their maximal impact. Just like if you go to the gym and you lift 50 pounds every day and you do that for a few months, well, at, at some point that's going to get pretty easy. So, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at, at what we have to adapt. And um, we, we do that in a, in a lot of different ways with objective measurements. And, and also owner impressions are very important. Now, both of you are certified canine rehabilitation practitioners, CCRP. Uh, you've got that designation, but that's certified canine. But I've heard you talk about cats. How, how, is it the same? Is it different? Uh, obviously, I, I can't imagine the cat in the water treadmill. I, know, I, was thinking I really would like to see that too. But sure. yeah. Uh, Come on by. And yeah, I've swam mine multiple times. She does it really care much about it. She just walks and um, I had her doing it for weight loss and I was pleasantly surprised how well it went. <laughs> and we've seen everything in the underwater treadmill uh, from guinea pigs to skunks to uh, pygmy goats. Um, you know, most animals take pretty well to water and we also have a swimming pool as well as a underwater treadmill. Okay. Uh, which is a little bit different. You know, swimming is a, a, a lot tougher exercise if you're not in good shape. So that's something we typically have to be in the tank and really have more of a guided exercise. My dog Maverick does not like the pool. He sinks. Um, he <laughs> loves chest deep water, but anything anything higher, he he because he sinks. <laughs> Poor guy. He's not a very good swimmer. I think I like the underwater treadmill a lot better than the pool. Then right. he's all muscular. We also use life vests, which create buoyancy in the dog, which helps them float so they can swim easier. Can you can you tell us a little bit about is there a difference in canine rehabilitation and and feline rehab? I'll, I'll let Ashley take that one. She's <laughs> right. more the expert. So obviously the biggest thing is going to be your approach to a lot of things. You know, dogs are going to be a lot more treat motivated, toy motivated, stuff like that. Cats were really honing in on the main goal of rehab. Uh, the ones we've worked with have either been weight loss or working on um, 
ones that have had previous um, spinal injuries, like as kittens are younger and they're now having trouble getting around at an older age. Um, So we're working on comfort. You know, we're doing laser therapy. We are swimming them. um, And it's a little bit not slower. Um, We go slower with the treatments themselves. um, But cats, cats tend to either be okay after an injury or not. And so there's really not a lot of like middle ground, I feel like. Um, So the ones that we do see tend to be more of those long term um, changes, you know, like arthritis, or um, again, like muscle loss, things like that with nerve, neurologic issues. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different different experience. Um, and they, they do well. And I love rehabbing cats are really, you know, as love dogs too, but, um, I always am trying to find some cats to rehab every now and then. All right, Ashley, our, we have one of our doctors here who is passionate about obesity and especially within the feline, her feline patients is, are there one or two other than, uh, just the food, um, things that for exercise for cats that that she can that that you can share with her that the, she can share with our curious pet parents. Yeah, I um I'm very big on doing small things within their day-to-day activity and their daily lives. So if the cat is agile enough, um even bringing, you know, the food dish up to the top of a cat tree, something that's making them having to work a little bit harder for that or they do make the treat balls just like they do for dogs where the cats can play with them and actually dispense the kibble um depending on how lazy your cat is. Um but even just figuring out what, you know, toys does your cat like? Like some cats love the fishing line ones, some like the, you know, balls that roll catnip toys. Every cat usually has something that they can find a way to play and enjoy. Um, And so finding that and just doing that within their daily lives um, tends to be the least stressful on human and um, animal. Um, But, uh, you know, those are kind of my two go-tos of uh, increasing the how much they have to work for their food as well as incorporating more playtime, more activity that is within a normal realm of a cat's. And I like playtime because that's time bonding. with your animal. Yeah, yeah. It's bonding time. So three, five minute, four, five minute, how how many and, and how long? As far as like the playtime and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah, it's going to depend on the cat. You know, some are going to, especially when they are more on the obese side, um, that endurance level and that activity is, isn't going to last as long. Um, so most of the time, if they can do, you know, even like two little sessions, you know, if they're in the morning getting ready for work and they can, you know, play with the cat a little bit, um, you know, just to get it up and moving, um, even again, feeding them at another end of the house to where they have to kind of run back and forth. <laughs> Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, or sometime midday, end of the day, giving another harder play time. Um, but some of the bigger kiddos that really don't have that endurance, it doing, you know, a few minutes throughout the day when possible is going to be much better than, um, you know, trying to kind of like us, you know, it's going to be hard to go for a long run at the end of the day versus doing a couple little, you know, walks, runs, uh, just to kind of keep the cardio up, things like that. <laughs> Dr. Levine, you've written many books, um, done a lot of research. Is there, in, in, in animal physical therapy, 
what are some advancements that are on the horizon or new technologies that our curious pet parents may see if they come to bring their pet for physical therapy? That's a great question. I think there's always, you know, a lot of new advancements. I think, I think, um, there are a lot of different uh, injectable medications for osteoarthritis now for things like, you know, elbow arthritis um, that, are, they're, they're, that are pretty new. There's other modalities such as shockwave therapy that are also emerging. Uh, so there, there's always kind of something new, you know, on the medical horizon where there's different trials. Cinevectin is, is an example for elbow OA. It's a tin type of compound. Um, other things on the horizon, I think, are maybe better diagnostics. I, th- I think we've, you know, we're learning a lot more about diagnostic ultrasound on tendon issues in dogs and cats. Uh, that's still kind of on the forefront. Not that many experts that are out there. When we look at the sporting and working dogs, they tend to have more, you know, tendinous issues, and those are really hard to diagnose. Uh, when you can't talk to a patient like a like a person, and you know, having an MRI for everything gets very expensive. Right. So, uh, you know, I think in terms of the forefront, I, I think improving our diagnostics is, you know, that helps. If we know exactly what we're treating, then it's a lot easier to pinpoint that location and do something for it, rather than you know, looking at some problem within the hip, but not really being sure if it's arthritis in the hip or maybe even being driven by a low back pain or iliopsoas pain or or something like that. So I think the field has advanced a lot over the last 20 some years. I mean, I've been involved in the field since the early 90s, which is a long time now when we knew almost nothing. And we we continue to grow greatly every year. We have our own, you know, sports medicine and rehab meetings on a yearly basis. We have a, uh, you know, a, a college specialty, the American College of uh, Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehab now that has a yearly meeting. Uh, Europe in, and in Europe, they do as well. So we see the need and we are, you know, working hard to try to uh, figure out the, you know, the best, best practices of care for these patients down the road. We had a previous episode about sports um, dogs, so all the different activities that people could do with their dog if they if they thought their dog was an athlete. So, do you have any? Uh, do you see a lot of dogs that are involved in sports that come in? Um, and if so, maybe this is a question for both of you. Even just not even necessarily just for sports dog owners, but all pet parents in general. Anything that, that like maybe one piece of advice, do this to cut down on the likelihood that you're going to need to see somebody at rehab. Well, stay skinny. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, being at a lightweight, whether you're a person or an animal is always more healthy because it, it you know, the, the stress on the joints as we gain weight becomes greater. Um, exercise regularly is the other thing. The weekend, you know, warrior where a dog goes out and, does way too much on the weekend, gets really sore, but then kind of lays on the couch all week. Um, you know, a good balanced diet. I, I think it's a lot of the same principles that we we try to follow as as human athletes. Uh, stay in shape, core strengthening. Um, Ashley, what do you think? 
I would say, I think one of my um, kind of favorite little tidbits, especially we have, we work with a lot of hunting dogs and and that kind of sporting dog as well in our area. Um, and just taking your dog for a slow, like not a jog or anything like that, like five, 10 minute walk before any vigorous activity, just like a nice slow walk really warms up the muscles. And that's going to help to hopefully decrease chances of, you know, those muscle strains, things like that. Um, and yeah, just that real gentle, slow walk just gets everything nice and warm and then they can kind of get going and does tend to help a good bit. <laughs> that sounds like, that sounds like advice to me and Maverick That's right. before going. Cause he loves, he loves fetch. I can throw the Frisbee and he'll do that for an hour, but we should go walk first, walk half a mile before doing that to kind of yeah. warm up. Yeah. I was thinking my daughter competes in agility with her dogs and I was going to tell her the same thing. Cause we, I don't, we don't warm right. up. Yeah. yeah we I just think go we just, we sit and start. And we sit and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then they call her name and they go in and run this course and then they're done. And I, I don't know why we haven't really, really thought about that. Actually, I don't, I mean, they have like little warm up areas over to the side, but yeah. um, taking on a little walk actually makes more sense. So thanks for that piece of advice. Like yeah. Well, is there anything else that either of you would like to talk about that we haven't asked you about for our curious pet parents? Well, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, rehab in general for conditioning, for weight loss, um, for after an injury, there, there's almost no patient that we can't work with. I mean, we have a very busy intensive care unit in the ER, and there are a lot of patients in there that we see as well. Uh, just like in a human hospital where someone's had a very traumatic injury or surgery, but they start rehab immediately, we... You know, we're also doing things to try to prevent that muscle atrophy you talked about, mm-hmm. to prevent things like pneumonia by keeping moving and, and uh, you know, decreasing fluid in the lungs. Uh, you know, activity is integral to life. So I think we're trying to promote just as much activity in a healthy manner as possible. Not only is that good for the physical health of your pet, but doing those things together increases that bond and the, and is good for the mental health as well for both you and your pet. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you both for joining us on the Family Pet Podcast today. Before we let you go, we have one more segment in our show, and that is the fun fact. So this is where you're going to share something with our curious pet parents out there that will help them win trivia night or at least impress their friends and family at dinner. So what fun fact do you have for our curious pet parents today? Um, I have like some typical like animal ones. Um, My favorite being that otters hold hands when they sleep and float and they like hold hands together and it's precious. Um, And then uh, polar bear skin is actually black. Wait, what? Polar bear skin. (laughs) It's like Dalmatians. It's it's black? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't know the you know actual huh. reasoning behind it or or how that came to be. Um, I would helps them with the, something to do with heat absorption and yeah, the sun and the art. Yeah, keep warm. That's good, Doctor Levine. You got anything for us? Well, Ashley's tough to follow, but um, <laughs> um, I guess I can throw one out when we look at when when you go to a zoo and you look at some different animals. You, you you've probably seen some foxes that have big ears and little ears. Uh, you know, everything from a fennec fox to an arctic fox. So, you know, why have their ears evolved differently? Animals that live 
in very cold climates. You, you, you probably been told when you were a kid, keep your ears covered. Keep some warm in, right? It mm-hmm. won't get cold. So animals that live in cold climates tend to have really small ears because there's a lot of capillaries in the ears and that gives off their body heat to the environment. Animals that live in the desert have big old ears because they want to give that heat off to keep their body temperature a little bit cooler. So things like ear size have kind of evolved based on where they lived to help maintain a normal body core temperature. I don't know how fun that is, but that, hey, that's I, a trivia. That is a that's a winning question right there. I like you, and yeah. and if I share that, I can impress people with my that's knowledge. Right. They're like, "How do you know this stuff?" I listen, listen to, to the, the Family, Family Pet, Pet Podcast. Podcast. That's right. <laughs> well, we hope that all of you out there listening have learned not only about the ear sizes of foxes and other cold animal, cold weather animals. I was going to ask, what does the fox say? But that's what we really want to know. Anyway, okay. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Family Pet Podcast. And until next time, stay curious. The Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com.